Hello, this is the 3 for Thursday podcast from fmi.online and I'm your host Chris Hewitt. Today's three is what are the three biggest accounting scandals? Good morning, Ryan. How are you today? We're moving slightly into the accounting area. How comfortable do you feel talking about this topic? Yeah, good morning, Chris. Uh, Good to see you again. Probably less comfortable talking about the technicalities of today's topic. That's much, much more aligned to your expertise and experience. But the three that I've chosen, I think we can have a little bit of an interesting chat about. Most people would have heard about the three that I've picked for today's topic. Yeah, and uh, it's it's quite interesting for me today. So when I graduated in, I want to say 2004, my first graduate role was at Deloitte. Um, I worked in internal audit and risk consulting. Half of the work that I did uh, was around Sarbanes-Oxley. Is that something you've you've come across? I have heard a little bit about it. I know a little bit of the background at a very high level. At a push, I could probably do two bullet points on it. You know, I defer to your expertise in this area for sure. Yeah, well, I believe that two of the big scandals we're going to talk about, they directly resulted in this legislation called Sarbanes-Oxley. But let's start, though, by talking a bit about accounting itself and accounting scandals. What does it mean to you? If you're talking about an accounting scandal, what is it and what is its significance? I guess for me, if I thought about what an accounting scandal was, it would be a company or people within a company breaking the the guidelines or the rules around the accounting standards. I've got a high level familiarity with accounting, so I appreciate that's a very complex and deep area of finance. That complexity, I guess, allows it to be taken advantage of at times. And then on top of that, you put the nefarious actions of some senior corporate people at these companies and you've got a a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I totally agree. So uh, at Deloitte, I studied my ACA, so my Chartered Accountancy. And and part of that was to try and understand international financial reporting standards. So anyone who's done similarly um, will know there are a load of different standards and some of those there is a level of discretion. So with some of those standards, perhaps some of the interpretation was, was incorrect without any malice, but perhaps on occasion, some of those standards were interpreted incorrectly for a reason. Uh, and we'll, we'll look at some of those in, in a bit of detail later on. So, w- so when I joined Deloitte in 2004, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act that I mentioned was, was directly as a result of two big scandals. Um, one of them particularly comes to mind. It's probably on, at the top of your list. Uh, in fact, let me ask you, what would be the scandal that immediately comes to mind for you? Well, for me, and whenever you say accounting scandal, one word rings in my head, and that's Enron. The Enron accounting scandal really came about and, and came to a head in 2001. So just as the world was grappling with the dot-com bubble, and it was actually that internet mania that drove some of the investment decisions of Enron that led to making such massive losses. At the time, Enron had grown from this merger between two smallish companies back in the mid-80s to one of the largest companies in America, but it had racked up massive, massive debts. But it was unable to recover all these costs and it just made these massive, massive losses. And this is where the accounting scandal came in. They tried to mask these losses. The CEO, Jeff Skilling, changed the way that they approached accounting. They went from one methodology, and I think it was historical cost, to mark to market accounting. And what that allowed them to do was report profits that weren't yet earned. 
the way I kind of look at it is thinking about my fixed income background. How do you value a bond? You value a bond by thinking about all the coupons that it's going to pay in the future, the par value that you're going to get back in 10 years, and you discount all those to the present, and that's the value of the bond. Enron was kind of doing the same thing. They were signing 10-year deals to supply gas and energy to customers, and they were taking those 10 years of future revenues, discounting them and counting them today, because that's what mark-to-mark accounting allowed you to do. So it really did take advantage of that methodology and massively inflated their revenues. The other thing that they did is they took advantage of off-balance sheet special purpose vehicles. So they took a whole lot of toxic assets took them off the Enron balance sheet and chucked them into these special purpose vehicles. Yeah, I agree. En- Enron is the one that instantly comes to mind. Um, I think what's interesting is that not only was there regulation and legislation as a result of the Enron collapse, there were also some changes or amendments to accounting standards. So the Accounting Standards Board, who I think annually or regularly look at the accounting standards that impact upon how companies report their results. It was such a big scandal. What what other accounting scandals come to mind? Number two for me is one which isn't quite as well known as Enron. It happened or it came to a head the year after in 2002. But in some ways, it was even more consequential to the regulatory framework that came afterwards. I guess it was that compounded effect of Enron in 2001. And my second choice in 2002, and that's WorldCom. WorldCom was one of the largest telecommunications companies in the world, and it was a really important dividend-paying stock for lots of pension pots. So this really had a massive real-world effect when this went under. Like Enron, WorldCom carried out its bad accounting through the actions of its leaders. For Enron, it was Jeff Skilling uh, mainly, and Kenneth Lay, the CEO of Enron, was heavily involved. For WorldCom, it was its chief financial officer, a gentleman called Scott Sullivan. Um, And what he did is he didn't treat expenses as they should be treated. Now, in our FMI, financial analysis course, we talk about accrual accounting. In this instance, Scott Sullivan, the CFO, rather than accounting for the expenses straight away, as you're meant to, capitalized them over many, many years. So it looked like they were incurring less expenses than they really were. And so it was, in some ways, quite a simple thing to do. But um, again, it it came from the top. A deliberate misinterpretation of that accounting concept of, of accrual accounting. And it really started falling apart in 2001, just when Enron was coming to a head, where they tried to fake an increase in earnings on its income statement of $4 billion US dollars. And the next year it filed for bankruptcy, $11 billion bankruptcy. And at the time, and maybe still to this day, the largest US bankruptcy in history. Yeah, you make an interesting point around capital expenditure and, and revenue expenditure. Because if you think about it for the for a company the size of WorldCom, whether that, that those costs go through as a capital cost, so the costs that hit the balance sheet immediately, or they go through as expenditure in the income statement, that the difference in that is going to be billions of dollars in expenses and therefore billions of dollars in, in profits. Um, so yeah, that was one of the biggest ones. In terms of total accounting errors, um, they were gu- guilty of $11 billion. Wow. Um, so, so, you, so you're right. These are these are the two um, that directly led on to that Sarbanes Oxley Act, um, and meant that for a few years at Deloitte, I was doing controls testing, all that fun, all that fun stuff, it, all, all that fun stuff that that I've listed on my CV. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did find it. I mean, this this was my first graduate role. It was so comprehensive. This act. Um, so it was amazing. Just just how many different systems and controls testing you'd have to do. 
as a result of WorldCom and Enron. So I firsthand have suffered the consequences of, of those accounting scandals. Oh dear, that doesn't sound good. You should watch, um, have you watched The Smartest Guys in the Room, the movie about Enron? It might sort of, it might be a walk down memory lane for you. Bring, brings back some bad some bad memories. Or brings back some memories. <laughs> memories. Um, so yeah, so yeah, WorldCom and Enron were the, the two that immediately came to my mind. But it's three for Thursday. So what's going to be your third answer, Ryan? Number three is a bit of a different flavor, and it's Bernie Madoff. At the time, one of the biggest names on Wall Street, one of the most successful investors and wealth managers, ex-chairman of the NASDAQ, a really, really well-respected guy, incredibly wealthy. And so it just is astonishing that he felt the need to go through uh, or down this road. Um, he has become you know, famous, world famous for operating what must be the biggest Ponzi scheme in history. Named after an Italian bloke called Ponzi, funnily enough, it's really quite frighteningly simple scheme to, to undertake. What Bernie Madoff did was he attracted investors by promising them really good returns. I think from memory, it was something like seven or 8%, which doesn't seem extraordinarily high, but he was consistently almost to the basis point year after year after year after year, hitting 7% returns. However, what he was doing, as soon as he had new money coming into his wealth management business, he'd take that money and put it in his personal bank account at Chase Manhattan Bank. And then he used that money to pay the returns in uh, quotation marks to the early investors using this money that he obtained from later investors. And that's what a Ponzi scheme is. Clients' trading statements were a complete fabrication, and that's where the accounting scandal comes into it. So he was sending out uh, client statements um, showing alleged profits, you know, wealthy investors, but also just fairly average people that had worked their whole lives, mm. thought that their retirement was taken care of, and they were getting these fake investment statements thinking that they could retire and be very, very comfortable, and it all came crashing down. When the FBI and the SEC arrested him and they did this investigation, they estimated that he had defrauded over a 20-year period investors of around 50 billion US dollars. I guess I guess the really serious and sad thing about all of these stories is <clears throat> there will have been shareholders that lost their investments, people that lost their jobs. I do know that in the US, they've, they've taken these things very seriously. We've seen these people that we've talked about, these CEOs and, and, um, and other senior directors being sent to prison for very long periods. We've had legislation like Sarbanes-Oxley. We've had regulation that have tried to, to ensure these things don't happen again. It makes it less likely. Um, but do you, do you think, though, Ryan, it's impossible to kind of completely rule these things happening happen in the future what do you think i mean it was only in the last year or so 2020 that we had the wirecard scandal in germany and again that was a massive accounting scandal and that's in 2020 so so we're always going to see these things pop up now i think they will probably occur with less frequency and, and hopefully less impact because as you've alluded to this has real world consequences for for people Thank you, Ryan. Thank you to our listeners. Um, you are welcome to give us any feedback. Um, you can drop a message to Ryan Spendelo or myself, Chris Hewitt. You can continue to support our podcast by rating, reviewing and subscribing to our Three for Thursday podcast on Spotify and Apple. Finally, have a look at our free resources at fmi.online. See you next Thursday.